We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Open your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 8 through 18. It'll be on the screen this morning. Today I'm reading from the message version of the scripture. The Bible says there were sheep herders camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly God's angels stood among them and God's glory blazed around them and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A savior has just been born in David's town. A savior who is Messiah and master. This is what you're to look for. A baby wrapped in a blanket lying in a manger. At once, the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please him. As the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the shepherds talked it over and said, Let's go to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed. They left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met with the angels what the angels had said about this child. And all who heard the sheep herders were impressed. Listen as Isaiah sings Silent Night.
Amen. This is my buddy Isaiah. Didn't he do a great job? We love you, man. We love you. Amen. Thank you, Isaiah. Christmas is the ideal opportunity for you and I to rekindle hope. Hope that every man, woman, boy, and girl can experience the transformation of a living God. You know, one of my favorite Christmas carols we sang this morning, and that's, O Holy Night. I love the lyrics. I love the music. Have you really thought about those words? O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared. That's the good news of Christmas. He appeared. And he appeared with an answer and a solution to a problem man could never resolve, and that problem was our sin. He appeared, and then our soul felt its worth. I love that line. You see, it's only when we know Jesus Christ and he comes into our life, we really accept the gift of Christmas which isn't some present under a tree, but it's the Son of the living God who came and gave his life for you and me. When we accept the gift of Christmas, then we truly begin to know the worth for which we were created. We begin to live in that sense of his majesty and his presence and his glory in and over our life. That song goes on to say, a thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices. Oh, I'm here to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter what you've carried in, what you've endured, or what you've experienced over the last year, or even the last week. God is able to bring strength to the weary soul. He's able to bring hope to the hopeless. He's able to put a smile on the downcast, because Jesus came. The writer goes on to say, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I am glad that every Christmas as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, we're celebrating new things, new hope, new destiny, new future, because Christ has come. And then the Course says, fall on your knees. Hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night, when Christ was born. You see, our response at Christmas should be to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To fall on our knees and to recognize God has given us such a wonderful and a great gift through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, when that song was written in 1847, most of the individuals who were aware of it didn't think much of it. At least those who were theologians, those who were leaders in the church. It was written, commissioned by a French bishop and a French poet by the name of Placide Apage wrote those lyrics. He was a scoundrel. He was a rascal. That's why people didn't think much about it. They thought it was a profane offering to a living God. Some considered him no more than a troublemaker at best. And then the one who wrote the music to it, he was considered unqualified as well. His name was Adolf Adam. Of all things, he was a Jew. And how could a Jew write music to a Christmas carol? But the problem is in spite of the criticism leveled against that song by theologians and those in religious circles, it struck a chord with the masses. Something began to resonate. It swept across the globe proclaiming the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And even yet today, it's one of the most favored Christmas carols of all time. You see, the point of that story is this, what some deemed profane, 
unacceptable, unholy. God chose to anoint and use to bring the message of his only begotten son. See, God's not intimidated by what man rejects. God's not intimidated by what we deem unclean. Rather, God has always cherished the opportunity to take that which was secular, to sanctify it, and make it sacred in his presence. All through Scripture, that's been his modus operandi. You can look back and think about Moses and his staff, just a piece of wood, but it was used to work great miracles. Think about Balaam's donkey, who God used to talk and bring about his will. Think about Jacob, who was a deceiver, a liar, but he had an encounter with God, and that encounter changed him to Israel, the prince of God. And the list goes on and on and on of those individuals who the world, you and I as humanity, would have considered unqualified, but when God laid his hand upon them, they became vessels for his work. It was, after all, God who said to the apostle Peter, what I've cleansed, don't you call common or unclean. So, but you say, but this is Christmas. All that doesn't matter. It's a whole nother story. It's the incarnation. It's God becoming man and dwelling among us. It's God really disclosing who he is and what he is like through the person of Jesus Christ. You see, the incarnation is just like every other aspect of God taking what we would deem unacceptable and making it absolutely sacred. See, it's at Christmas that God shows us who he is and what he is and what his priorities are. And that's central to the good news. What did John say in John 1.14? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. Hebrews 1, 3, it says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So I really believe that Christmas is the perfect opportunity for God to show us how much he loves to transform the secular into the sacred. Let's think about that little town called Bethlehem for a moment. It too was transformed. You wouldn't know it from the world's vantage point, but take a look at the scripture. From Micah 5, 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. We reiterated again in Matthew 2, 6, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Bethlehem was first noticed in Scripture as being marked as the place of Rachel's death and burial in Genesis 48, 7. It was insignificant. It was a backwater little town. It wasn't on the top ten places that you would want to live or even visit. But God loves to use common things. He loves to use foolish things, according to 1 Corinthians 1, 27, to confound the wise. Somehow he gets special pleasure out of taking the common and making it sacred. So listen right now as Haley sings, O Little Town of Bethlehem.
Didn't she do a great job? We have such talent in this church. Thank you, Haley. I'm excited about what God is doing in our children, how he's using them. Just reiterates what I just said. God uses what many would overlook to bring glory and honor to him. As we're thinking about the fact that God uses common things in life, think about the manger. The manger was transformed, but you wouldn't have known it if you saw it the day before the birth of Christ. It was just a barn, just a stable, just a place for livestock to find shelter. If it hadn't been for the presence of God arriving on that day, we would never have known of that little building. Would have passed into history with not so much as even a footnote. But listen, when God arrives, everything changes. And that's the mystery and the gift and the wonder of Christmas. When God arrives, everything changes. Even little feed troughs in barns in backwater towns suddenly have a divine purpose. Luke 2.12 says, And this shall be a sign unto you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. That little feed trough in a stinky little barn became a signpost toward the Messiah. Those who are seeking him went there and they found him. It's amazing how God likes to use the common things in life. He likes to use the weak things in life to show his strength. Shouldn't surprise us that God often uses less than qualified people 
to reveal his glory. He laid his hand on a poet that many considered profane and used him to write the lyrics to O Holy Night. He laid his hand on a Jewish composer and used him to write the music that goes along with that great poem. God loves to take the common and use it for his glory. Because in that, there is purpose and there is power, and he receives honor and glory. Think about that hopeless sinner that you know. The one who everybody said there's no hope for them. But then God arrived. God came into their heart and into their life. And they were suddenly transformed by his presence. There was a time when they would never be able to see and could not imagine being anything other than what they were. But God knew their value. God saw something inside of them that others and even themselves could not see. Speaking of that, aren't you glad that you and I also had a yet-to-be-disclosed future? Aren't you glad that God sees something in us that others don't see? Aren't you glad that God arrives and change occurs in our hearts and in our lives? You see, that's really what Christmas is all about. It's about redemption. It's about reclaiming the lost. Two things I want you to remember this morning and take home with you this Christmas day. First, never forget that what you see is not what God sees. He has a whole different picture. God doesn't look at the things you and I look at. He doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside. That's what he said in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. God doesn't look on the appearance, but God looks at the heart. And second, would you remember that what is, what you think is going on, what you think is happening in someone's life isn't who that person can become when they are touched by the power of God. I am so glad that through him we have the ability to change. I am so glad that we don't have to make our bed and lie in it. There is redemption through Jesus Christ. There is opportunity for transformation through the power of the gospel. I'm so glad that Matthew 19, 26 says, But with God, all things are possible. So it doesn't matter what you're encountering this week. Remember, what is, isn't what may become. You know, as believers, we need to be challenged with the fact that where God places a comma, we should never put a period. We should, be un- we should understand that God is still at work. Don't be quick to jump to conclusions about yourself, about your family, about your neighbors or your coworkers or your friends. Remain open to the possibility that God can arrive and things can change in hearts and in lives. Because when God is in something, everything becomes possible. Ask that handful of disciples who stood at the base of Calvary that day. And they watched as their Messiah, their leader, their teacher, their master, died. They saw him give up his last breath. But also consider that same group of disciples who on Easter Sunday morning ran to an empty tomb and they discovered he's no longer here, but he is risen. Because when God arrives, things change. And that is the story of Christmas. Take a look at those sitting around you this morning. Maybe there's someone with you you've written off. 
Maybe there's someone with you, you've said, no, they've exhausted their opportunities and I'm not going to give them another chance. Can I challenge you? Don't put a period for God's place to come. Let God arrive in their hearts and their lives and let God finish his work in them. Think of those that you work with. Think of those that are so difficult and gnarly and sticky. And Just remember, God can do something in their hearts and in their lives. Let God finish his work in them. And last, take a look in the mirror. And when you're frustrated with what you see and what you've experienced, remember, God's not finished. He's still at work. And that's the message of Christmas. Christ has arrived so that you and I can know redemption, so that you and I can know eternal change, so that day by day, we become more like him. So even in your own life, don't put a period for God's only place to come. Let God finish his work in you and let God do what he has already predestined and predetermined to do in your heart, in your life. As Paul wrote in Philippians 1, 6, he who has began a good work in you, shall perform it. That's God's will for this place today, for your heart, for your life, for our lives this morning. Stand with me today, please. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm not going to pass up a Christmas morning without asking, is there someone in this room who needs to experience the redemptive power of Christmas, who needs to understand personally that Christ died for me, that that is the message of Christmas, that through Him, I can be forgiven. I can be changed. I need help that only He can offer and only He can give. That's the message of Christmas. If I just described you in this room this morning, right where you stand, would you slip up your hand and say, pray for me, Steve. I need the redemptive power of Christ in my heart and in my life today. I'm going to wait just a moment. But if that's you, slip up your hand and say, pray for me. I want the redemptive power of Christ. I want to change. And I believe Christ can change me. Anyone? Slip up your hand. Very good. Tom, will you come back and we're going to sing my favorite Christmas carol. Would you sing it out with me, Oh Holy Night? And now that you know its origins, you know its beginnings, let it have special meaning in your heart. And let's exalt and worship the one who came, the divine that came that night. Can we do that? Let's worship him. Holy night, and the stars are brightly shining. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.